Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, new developments in the Cleo Smith case, the key suspect charged as we learn more about him. Breaking border news on the East Coast, three states changing the rules quite dramatically tonight. Your preview of WA's roadmap out of COVID ahead of the Premier's announcement tomorrow. And live to New York, where the pre-trial of Prince Andrew's civil assault case gets underway. But we begin with that developing news. A man facing court for the first time in Carnarvon in the last couple of hours charged over the alleged abduction of Cleo Smith. The 36-year-old is formally accused of one count of child stealing. Our reporter in that hearing says Terence Kelly told him in open court, quote, I'll get out of here one day. I'm coming for you. Now, that charge laid tonight after police were finally able to interview the accused and the four-year-old girl he's alleged to have kidnapped. Let's go live to Tim McMillan now in Carnarvon. Tim, hello to you. What can you tell us about this charge? Yeah, good evening to you, Michael. It's all happened uh, in a flurry late in the day today. We understand that police had to wait uh, before they could question the suspect, uh, Terence Kelly. Uh, they were able, though, to finalise charges and get him before a magistrate here in Carnarvon, before the courts closed up for the day. I'll just read a little from the police media release that came out uh, not long ago. It says, the Western Australian Police Force has charged a 36-year-old Carnarvon man with various offences relating to the abduction of four-year-old Cleo Smith. He was taken into custody shortly before officers from Operation Rodia rescued the missing girl from a locked house in Carnarvon in the early hours of Wednesday 3 November. It goes on to note that she had been missing for 18 days after disappearing from her family's tent at the Blowholes campsite on the 16th of October. The charges include one count of forcibly take a child under 16. Other details I can uh, enlighten you about from that court appearance uh, was that he did appear in person. There was some speculation as to whether that would happen, particularly uh, given his health condition uh, over the last couple of days. His lawyer did apply for a suppression order uh, over this matter. That application was rejected by the magistrate who said this case is already notorious. There is really no need for it. And Tim, any more details that we've learned about the suspect? Look, a little bit. Uh, we have heard some commentary around uh, the suggestion that he had a fascination with dolls. Uh, I mean, that's a peculiar thing uh, to attribute to a man of 36 years of age. Uh, look, I can't be drawn too far into speculation as to what that might mean or whether it might in some way form part of the prosecution case uh, against him. Uh, other than that, uh, I can tell you about his health woes over the last couple of days. He's been to hospital twice here under police guard uh, for self-inflicted injuries. Uh, and for police, really, they had to wait until he was deemed medically sound to be questioned by them. Uh, they 
did not want to in any way jeopardise uh, their case against him, so they have to wait until he's in a fit state before they can sit down uh, and interview him about what is alleged to have taken place uh, in this house behind me uh, over the 18 days that Cleo Smith was missing. Importantly also today, Tim, uh, a little Cleo was interviewed for the first time also. Yes, yeah, she was. Uh, just after lunchtime today, we saw officers uh, accompanied uh, by Cleo, her mum and her stepdad, Jake. Uh, they were taken away uh, to a location just in the town here, not a police facility, not a home. It appeared to be uh, a pretty nondescript back end of an empty building uh, here in Carnarvon. We understand that was the location that they selected to sit down uh, and speak to Cleo. We don't really have any idea yet of the details to come out of those discussions, uh, but certainly that preceded uh, the laying of those charges that were read out in the court uh, in Carnarvon a short time ago. Mm. And it looks like uh, from behind you there, there's quite a forensic uh, search uh, exercise going on. Still a hive of activity there, Tim. Yeah, there really is uh, still quite a bit going on here. Uh, forensics have been here again for most of today. They spent a full day here yesterday. Uh, the tent is still up. We've seen forensics officers uh, still moving in and out of the house, taking things away. It's hard to tell what it, exactly it is uh, that they're bagging up here. Uh, and just uh, in the street here as well, I mean, this is quite a, a tight loop here. The houses all look in on each other. Um, it's a part of town where I think the neighbours all come out and, and have some idea of what's going on uh, in their neighbourhood. Obviously, now that uh, charges have been laid, there is the potential uh, for emotions to run high in this community. Uh, and I think that's why we're seeing uh, extra police presence in the street here. We've got at least two uh, cars here blocking entrance uh, to go past uh, the house where the abduction is alleged to have uh, happened and the captivity is alleged to have happened. Uh, police tape still around here and cars blocking it at the other side as well. It's pretty quiet in the street as we speak, but certainly it appears as though police are here uh, and ready should that change. Indeed. All right, Tim McMillan there in Carnarvon. Thank you. Thank you. In some breaking news, travellers are minutes away from being able to freely cross between New South Wales and Victoria. That development coming to us in a late-night announcement. Our reporter, Christy Cooper, is at Melbourne Airport tonight. Christy, good evening to you, sir. How long has it been since the borders were open like this? Michael, it's been six months since people could travel freely between New South Wales and Victoria without strict requirements, but that all changes at midnight tonight. Both state premiers released a joint media release tonight saying the borders between the two states are reopening. Now, specifically, all of New South Wales and the ACT will be declared a green zone. What that means is that anyone travelling into Victoria from those two areas will not have to test they won't have to quarantine. The only thing they'll need to do is apply for a permit online. Now, they won't even have a requirement to be vaccinated. This is something that's quite new. They uh, will be able to get into Victoria even if they are not vaccinated. However, once they get here, there's not too much that they'll be allowed to do. Heading in the other direction, it's quite different. Victorians will not be allowed to travel into New South Wales unless they are fully vaccinated if they're heading over just for a holiday or recreational purposes. So a couple of small differences yeah. there, but still this is a major step forward in returning to normal life and news that will be quite welcome to many, especially Victoria's tourism industry, Michael. Yeah, it's a big change. I'm not too sure what they're announcing there. There are no flights, but you did well competing with the audio there. It's a big change tonight. All right, Christy. Thank you.
We have new details tonight over here on changing rules to Queensland's border bubble. A town in New South Wales about to be locked out. Sally Guide is across the details in Brisbane tonight. Uh, Sally, hello to you. So, who's being blacklisted at midnight and why? It's a town of Moree, Michael. Residents from that northern New South Wales town will not be able to cross into Queensland. The only exceptions being are for emergencies and for healthcare. Now, this comes after three new cases of COVID were detected in the Queensland border town of Gundawindi. Now, those three new cases are one, one is a woman in her 30s who had received one dose of AstraZeneca, two were cases in teenager and a woman in, his tw in her 20s who was unvaccinated. This comes from a case that has stemmed from Moree, where that community is currently battling a fresh outbreak. Yeah, so Sally, what's, what's the level of risk tonight in Gundawindi then? Well, Gundawindi has the highest rate of vaccination in the state, Michael. So mm. given that high vaccination rate of 82%, percent of people in that town having received two doses of the vaccine it's a relatively low risk of going into lockdown for that community so nine out of ten residents have received at least one dose despite this though many locals are staying inside as an extra precaution against this latest cluster all right sally guyton brisbane thank you for that our nation's leaders meet for National Cabinet tomorrow on the cusp of a significant vaccine rollout achievement. Just over 79% of us are fully vaccinated against COVID. Officially, we're two days away from reaching the 80% double-dose target. Early December is when we're likely to achieve the 90% milestone. Let's go to political reporter Jennifer Beshwadi. Now, Jen, good evening to you. We are so close to that 80% reopening target and I think we understand it'll be the top priority of the National Cabinet tomorrow. It certainly will be, Michael. Premiers are meeting for the first time in more than a month and there's a lot to discuss. I understand international and domestic travel will be top of the agenda. They'll also talk about WA's roadmap to reopening, which will be announced by the uh, Premier Mark McGowan tomorrow morning. Will WA open to the rest of the country? Well, we'll know that tomorrow. Uh, with such high vaccination rates, the testing, tracing and isolate uh, protocols will be reviewed, uh, so there might be changes there, as will be the uh, quarantine arrangements and booster shots. Uh, how many doses will go where? Now, Prime Minister Scott Morrison arrived this morning from his overseas trip to the uh, uh, Glasgow Climate Summit and the G20 in Rome. Um, he's hoping to put behind him the uh, dispute with the French over the submarine deal and will chair what will most likely be a united National Cabinet tomorrow uh, as Australia enters a new phase in the COVID pandemic, one with more freedoms uh, and more certainty about the future. All leaders will be preparing for a full reopening by Christmas. I'm told we could even reach that 80% double dose mark by as early as tomorrow, mm. Michael. And there will be a new face at the National Cabinet. This will be uh, New South Wales's uh, Dominique Perrottet's first appearance as Premier. And a fair bit to discuss, and quite incredible. We are right on that 80% target, too. It's great. All right, Jen, in Canberra, thank you. Well, months ago, the nation was desperately pressed for supplies. What a turnaround to report tonight. Because New South Wales is so awash with vaccine, it's turning vials away. Let's go to Tom Saker with the story in Sydney. Tom, this is quite an incredible turnaround. How's the state government stopping the excess from going to waste? That's the important question. 
That's right, Michael. It is a huge turnaround. The state government has already taken the measure of bringing forward the Pfizer booster program. That was due to begin next Monday. It is, in fact, already underway. It was also originally meant to target vulnerable groups, including the elderly and frontline workers, but it is now open to everyone who was at a second dose of the vaccine more than six months ago. Now, the New South Wales Health Minister has also expressed a desire to have children over the age of five get their COVID vaccine after it was revealed today that 40% of the state's cases are under the age of 20. More than half that group are under the age of 10. There is also an extra push to have frontline workers vaccinated, groups including paramedics, even though they have a 99% vaccination rate. That's how important every jab is at the moment. And it is because there is an expiry date on these jabs. Uh, the state government has had to tell the federal government we cannot keep taking on supplies because there is a use-by date. Now, the, Co the Kudos uh, Bank Arena mass vaccination clinic will close its doors on Sunday after having administered 365,000 jabs since the 9th of August. So that will be another huge milestone. But really, it is a massive turnaround, given how just a few months ago we were so desperate yeah. to get on uh, COVID vaccine supplies. And uh, here we are. New South Wales is sitting just under 90% double-dose vaccination rate. Incredible, Michael. Wouldn't think we'd be sitting here talking about this. Quite amazing, Tom. All right, thanks for that, Tom Saker, Sydney. Well, on average, we are $879 better off tonight because of recent income tax cuts. The numbers based on Treasury figures from the September quarter compared to the same period last year. 11.5 million Australians kept some extra cash, totalling $10.2 billion. The deadly shooting on Alec Baldwin's movie set may have been an act of sabotage, according to the lawyers involved in the case. The team defending the show's armourer now suggests a disgruntled crew member may have deliberately mixed live rounds with blanks to prove a point, they say. But they're also claiming whoever put that live round in with the dummies did so only with bad intentions. A Manhattan judge says Prince Andrew should be prepared for a trial late next year on accusations he sexually abused a minor. Royal commentator Victoria Arbiter is live from New York now with more details. Victoria, good to talk to you again. So what is the latest in this case? Good evening to you, Michael. Well, yesterday's pre-trial hearing was very short indeed, right around 10 minutes. It was conducted remotely via telephone. There wasn't an opportunity for the judge to address Prince Andrew's rebuttal, which was filed with the court last week in response to Ms. Jeffrey's allegations. This was about laying out how proceedings are likely to unfold in the coming weeks and months. Now, he did say they can expect to go to trial next autumn here in the Northern Hemisphere. So between September and December 2022, lawyers for both parties said they're going to be seeking testimony from around eight to 12 witnesses. Interestingly, Mr. Free's lawyers said that they may be seeking help from the British court system in order to secure depositions from two British citizens. He did not identify who those citizens are, but it's thought it could be Sarah, Duchess of York, Prince mm. Andrew's ex-wife, his oldest daughter, Princess Beatrice, or indeed a former police protection officer. Now, Michael, anyone who follows the royals knows that next year is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. She'll be the first British monarch marking 70 years on the throne. This trial is definitely going to cast a shadow over those festivities it's possible yeah. the verdict may also come right around the time prince harry's book will be released so right. a big year next year for <laughs> royal scandal that is a lot going on you're right about it so i mean there's a lot at stake for the royal family and the queen here in terms of image but what's at stake for prince andrew victoria 
Well, image is everything, isn't it? And of course, the optics here are very messy indeed. Prince Andrew's reputation is shot, so he can forget about redeeming himself really in the court of public opinion. Um, really, what's at stake for Prince Andrew here is an awful lot of money. He is seeking to have this case dismissed, but in the event he were to lose this case, he could be on the hook for a huge sum in damages. It is important to note that this case is a civil trial. It is not a criminal trial. But, Michael, I'm sure that those conducting the criminal investigations are going to be watching this trial very closely indeed. Well, like you said, a civil trial, it all comes down to money. I mean, how? I, mean, I don't know his income stream, but how would he pay in the event that, he, that uh, the accusers awarded damages? That's a very good question. He has got his chalet in Switzerland on sale right now, but Prince Andrew doesn't have access to money. I know he's enormously privileged being a member of the royal family, but he doesn't own his house. He can't sell his home in Windsor. Um, he's not able to go out and get a job like you or me, uh, certainly being a, a senior member of the royal family and one that has been so badly damaged by these allegations. So I think for now, the Queen will likely be paying his legal fees from her private income, not taxpayer funds, that is private income. But in the event he is on the hook for damages, yeah. he's going to be in quite a lot of trouble. It's going to get messy, Victoria. I think we can say that. I think so. Yes, right. indeed. Yeah. Great to talk to you again. Victoria Arbiter, thank you. Thank you, Michael. In the COVID era, scientific terminology like mRNA vaccines have certainly gone mainstream and the rise in fortunes of companies that have invested in it, like Pfizer, has seen millions injected into research and technology. Professor Trent Munro from the Australian Institute for Bioengineering and Nanotechnology, it's a fair title, joins us from Brisbane now. Trent, good evening to you. Thanks for your time. Look, I know we've heard a lot about mRNA, but uh, for people who may not still be aware, briefly, what does it mean? So the M stands for messenger and the RNA is basically the chemistry behind this molecule. And so essentially, if we think about it, it's the messenger molecule of our body, of, our mo of, of the way that our bodies work. It turns our DNA code into the active doing molecules, which are called proteins. So it's that key intermediary. Mm. You were part of the team developing Australia's COVID vaccine candidate out of UQ. What other emerging treatments and vaccines are coming from the same technology? It's turning into a very fascinating field. Yeah, it's one of those really amazing things. And it's one of the dangers, I think, in trying to predict the future. I think if you'd asked me at the start of COVID which vaccine platform was going to make it, you know, I probably wouldn't have predicted mRNA to be in the place that it is today. And really those platforms, the ones from Moderna and the ones of Pfizer in partnership with BioNTech, have really been the vaccines that were developed the fastest and now are the most broadly used across the globe. So it's really an incredible technology and it's completely changed the game for how we think about vaccinology. The speed of all this has been quite extraordinary as well, hasn't it? Yeah, the speed's unbelievable. I mean, the, the folks at Moderna um, were able to get into their clinical trials just 40-odd days after getting the yeah. sequence for the virus. And so yeah. you know, that was something just we wouldn't have imagined previously. You have a bit of federal funding at, at UQ as part of the RNA research. What are you working on? Yeah, so what we know that Australian researchers need is really the capability of taking their ideas that, to that next step. So to take their really fantastic research and say, how do I then put that into a clinical trial? How do I do the proof of concept studies that means that someone's going to come and invest in it? And so the facility we have up here in Queensland, relatively small, modest facility, um, is really one that's designed to help with that translational research. Take those ideas and turn them into something that hopefully will be a drug or you know, vaccine of the future. Yeah. Specifically, what are the sort of diseases or conditions that you could target using this? 
Yeah, one of the things that's really interesting about mRNA is that it removes some of the technical barriers that are really difficult with other ways of making drugs. And so I think that's why people are so excited about it. Um, now that it's over the barrier, the commercial barrier, because we've got the COVID vaccines on the market, uh, as you said, there's so many companies rushing in. So I expect to see further vaccines uh, come along for diseases like influenza or CMV or RSV, these you know names for viruses that you know really we don't have good mm -hmm. solutions for. I expect those. And then closely behind that, I think we'll see some really innovative cancer therapeutics because, I mean, cancer is not one disease. It's very complicated. Um, but people are working on some really nice approaches with mRNA uh, that just haven't been possible before. Yeah, I think I read where in Germany they're using, they found an amazing uh, consequence of their research was quite a breakthrough into MS and treatment of MS as well. Exactly. So all of these autoimmune diseases are right up there with oncology and cancer as the next stage of treatments. Um, yeah. As I said, you can deliver this very precisely. You can make all kinds of different drugs with the molecule. Um, so we don't know exactly where it's, where it's going to go. We're working here with a number of researchers and companies across Australia um, and also a lot of uh, collaborators in different states. And we're really excited about the potential. It is interesting, isn't it? Because for years, there's been so much push for funding in certain areas, like uh, why, for example, hasn't HIV uh, had its yeah. own vaccine yet? And now we've got this flood of research and money going into all sorts of vaccines. It opens up a lot of potential for areas like that as well. Well, it does. I mean, we've seen some interesting funding announcements from New South Wales and Victoria trying to put support behind this. The federal government's also looking at how they can bring additional manufacturing capacity to Australia. But I think what we really need, and, and we did a white paper with the Australian Academy of Science, is a focused uh, investment in research and really supporting that fundamental research to get out of the lab um, and find those uh, really you know, interesting uses and the ones that are going to be important for Australians as well. And we're not really seeing that yet. Yeah. So we've been you know, talking to the federal government, asking them to focus some of the key research bodies and putting uh, really more money into the early stage research, because that's where tomorrow's breakthroughs are going to come from. And we look forward to them for the good work that you do. All right, Professor Trent Munro, thanks for your time. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Appreciate it. Welcome back. The French ambassador has condemned Scott Morrison for leaking text messages from the French president to the press. In the latest chapter of the fallout from Australia backing out of that submarine deal with France, the PM is accused of being untrustworthy. Let's bring in our panellists, Dee Madigan and Carolyn Overington, for their take on that and a few of the other headlines from this week. Good evening to you both. Uh, Carolyn, I'm going to start with you first. I mean, this was a big diplomatic issue. Um, how big is it when, when the media gets hold of foreign leaders' texts, private conversations? Well, it's clumsy, but it's hardly unprecedented. I mean, we've all seen over the past 20 years all kinds of conversations being leaked from the Prime Minister's office. Many people will remember when Kevin Rudd's conversation with George Bush about the G20 was leaked. He claimed that George Bush didn't know what it was. Others will remember that other conversations have leaked over time. The main problem here is that this seems to be a conversation between the French President and the Australian Prime Minister, so there's only 
two possible places it <laughs> yeah. could have come from, and the French are saying it didn't and come it wasn't from there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Dee, I mean, we know that politics in this country is pretty robust, to use that word, and it's it's fair game with everything. Uh, was it fair game to leak these texts, do you think? No. No, I mean, there's a sort of an Australian sovereignty at risk, the trust element. It's, it's kind of important in diplomacy, but I reckon the lies are worse. Like, it's almost Trumpian. So today he came out and he said, oh, yeah, there was problems with the costings and, and of the French submarines. Last week, our Defence Secretary said, no, there wasn't. And Scott Morrison, when he reneged on the deal, and I'm not sure whether it was good or bad to renege on the deal, but he said at that time it wasn't a cost problem. And now, a couple of weeks later, it's, oh, it's because it they were too expensive. It's like, it's a straight-out Trumpian lie. It's, I find it, it's almost like popcorn-y. Carolyn, do we care that the French president's offended by this? I don't think that the average ordinary Australian, particularly given the week that we've had, yeah. ha is going to care that much about this issue. Do they understand that this deal was a deal that was going to be done and then wasn't going to be done and now we've done a deal with somebody else? They kind of get that. But the, the detail, I think, will be lost. And I'm not, I'm not sure that they care that much. They know that the French submarines were probably not going to work as well as they should and maybe were going to cost too much, and that may satisfy them. Yeah. I reckon, though, they'll see the pictures on the news and you see the ones where everyone's shaking hands and he just looks a bit lost. That's like, awkward. Uh, that's the bit that people get. It's like, gee, he's not really good on the world stage. It's a little embarrassing. And I reckon that does come through to sort of the public, even if they don't know the details. I agree with you. He has looked extremely awkward at this particular conference. He has sort of been looking around, looking... Like he can't, find, he can't find a friend. With, can't find a friend. And the only friend he can find is the Prime Minister of India kind yeah. of thing. So that has looked awkward and I think more awkward than the text messages. Well, he might have looked awkward, but what did we make of Malcolm Turnbull turning up at that conference and, and letting loose in all of his, let's call it, bitterness? What did you make of that? Look... <laughs> Do you remember? It's not, it doesn't seem like five minutes ago that they had their arms around each other and one was pledging support to <laughs> the other. I've got you back. There's clearly no friends in Australian politics, are there? Yeah, yeah I think I think that Turnbull's. He's a little bit like Rudd. Sometimes you just go, oh, I don't know what I don't know what you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just go, oh. Yeah, I think people see it for what it is. You know, you know, he is scoring, uh, settling some old scores. And look, I think I think he's right. I do think Scott Morrison is known for not being particularly truthful. But I don't know that he adds a lot to it by the way he comes out and says it. Look, I'm sure a lot of those leaders there had their own awkward moments, but there we have our Prime Minister not seeming to make too many friends, a former Prime Minister barking on the sidelines. Do you think they were sort of standing back going, what's going on? What's going on there? Especially because we have this history of having seven or eight Prime Ministers in five minutes. <laughs> Which one's that? <laughs> the angry one. Hang on, they're all angry. <laughs> right. Moving on to happy news, though, and, and finding Cleo uh, yesterday was an extraordinary moment that I think collectively just lifted the nation. How did you react to when you I, I couldn't believe it. I remember I was in bed just having my coffee and just flicked on the phone. And honestly, I, I didn't think that would happen. I didn't think that would be the outcome, as most people did. It was just... I, th I think I got quite teary. It was quite beautiful, I thought. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people did. Carolyn, your reaction? Yeah, I was completely stunned. Um, and also... I mean, I think in these moments I do tend to think of some of the other children that are missing and, of course, William Tyrrell, of course. Tyrell, of yeah. course. Um, and people have said to me, oh, you know, it's difficult, isn't it, that William has not been found, particularly now that Cleo has been found. Um, but I, I had a very strong sense of William yesterday. I had a very strong sense of his presence because I felt like we had learnt a lot. Mm. 
They've done it very differently because they assumed immediately that this was an abduction, that she had been kidnapped. And even though that there were people on Twitter and other places who wanted to say, oh, well, you know, were the parents involved or was someone else involved, they shut that down immediately. Mm. And they said, no, this is a very serious crime and we're going to take it very seriously. And the million dollar reward was offered straight away to break whatever alliances there may have been between people who perhaps mm. knew what was going on. They shut down the campsite. They took every piece of garbage out of every bin on the campsite and tested it all for fingerprints and for DNA. They, DNA, they downloaded all of the um, information from the cell phone tower so they could tell who was in there at the area at the time and they could track them down and ask them what they were doing there. And that, to my, view, to my point of view, is William's legacy. He lives among us now as a symbol of the way that we need to handle these cases. We don't always have to assume that a little child that is missing is a little boy lost. It can be that they are taken, as horrible as that is. And the, the WA police in this particular case have been amazing, just an astonishing act. But really I felt William's presence very strongly and I felt that we've learnt a lot from his disappearance. Mm. We will find out what happened to him. I believe that, and I know you believe yes. that too. We will find out what happened to him. He will turn up, or his suit will turn up, or something will happen and we will know. But in the meantime, he lives with us this way. Do you know what it, it sort of resonated with me that, you know, for all the speculation about what has happened to William, that it can be as straightforward as someone nearby, very close, taking him and, and, and keeping him close for a while as well. Exactly all the bits we're learning about Cleo. Well, that's what's so frustrating about William's case is that everybody wants to play amateur detective and they all want to say, well, you know, could it be this person, could it be that person, could it be this person? Sometimes, as rare as it is, sometimes evil meets innocence like that yep. at an intersection. And that's and terrifying, though, isn't it, it as a parent? Because it's, it's the bit that you say to yourself, no, most of the time it's a relative or, you know, it's never just a stranger. And yet... Sometimes it is. And it's very rare, and I think that it's fair enough for people to say in any case, oh, could it have been a custody issue, or could it have been this or that, extortion, ransom? Sometimes, and I think in William's case, we have to say that it just happened to be that he was in the wrong place when the wrong person, a really evil the person opportunistic was evil that just came along, yeah. Look, and, I, and we had amazing jubilation yesterday, didn't we? But I, I, I fear there may be some uncomfortable days ahead when we learn more in court. And that 18 days. I mean, what has happened in those 18 days yeah. too? So. Exactly. And also, um, you know, the, the person who is now charged with it, what's happened in their life to bring them to that point yes. as, as well? And, and those are questions we need to look at as well. Nothing happens in isolation. Yeah. We'll learn no, a lot more about that. I mean, we'll never forget, though... I think Dee's right. I'll never forget that. When I heard it on the radio, it was also the way it was presented... My name is Cleo. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was just... Mm. That confirmation and mm. validation that it she was It was a there. moment of sheer jubilation for yeah. the whole nation. Mm. Really quite beautiful. There was a little tiny nuanced moment, and you might have seen it because the vision's been replayed quite a few times, when she's in the arms of one of the, the police teams. And she's touching the back of it, I know. I saw it. It's so well? beautiful. She's it was just, just touching, the, touching the yeah. yeah. On the back, like it's an... It's, it's a reassurance, it's yep. a comfort. Yeah, it was and just... And I heard the police say today, when, one, when a commentator was saying how confident she seemed in their arms and how relaxed, yeah. and one of the police said, well, four fathers walked into that room. Four fathers, you forget that, don't yeah. you? They were all dads, and they were in there making sure she was OK. And I know some people have said, oh, well, the way they said, what's your name, what's your name? But there must have been a moment when they just thought, it can't be, it can't be, because it just never is. You never yeah. find them sort of sitting in a bed, playing with her toys, no. looking relatively healthy and well. What yeah. a miracle. Locked in that room.
It is a miracle, and it's a wonderful thing, and I think it's, uh, selfishly, it's something that we all needed as well. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. Back at this whole year. Uh, something completely ridiculous to talk about, apart from that. Heading overseas, the release of the series Tiger King was a cultural moment last year, and it would have been difficult to avoid hearing the name Carol Bascom. That notoriety is part of the reason she's suing Netflix, saying the series was misleading and unfairly accused her of animal abuse. Um, Carolyn, you're going to have to help me here. I never even saw the thing still, what? so I still haven't seen it. I know How everyone could, else saw it. What so. did you do during lockdown? <laughs> Not that. You didn't things. watch Netflix? No, other no, things. no, I didn't. I did other things. I didn't you're making it sound very saucy. <laughs> 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 so it's a show about... Saucy and my name have never been put in the same sentence. <laughs> anyway. So it's a show about a, a woman who keeps tigers in the United States. I mean, it should be an offence. They should be suing her. <laughs> the yeah, tigers yeah. should be suing. Come to that. Surely she knew what she was signing up for, though. Well, this is, you see, it's interesting, though. So say you could look at, say, shows on Australian TV, reality shows. People go on them... And there is no doubt that there is a narrative around them that they don't really have a lot of control of, that the, the producers and that do, and do present them in ways that mightn't be what they thought it was going to be. But also, they've signed up to a reality show, and Carol Baskin, Carol ba I even say it like that, Carol Baskin signed up to that show. You're very good at that. Yeah, yeah, I loved. I mean, that, that was, you've got to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, you sign up to the show. It might have had its moment. Like, yeah. it, everyone was watching it during lockdown, and because everyone was watching it, it kind of became a a cultural phenomenon, but if you're yeah, but I do that silly, I do that silly thing when everyone's watching something and raving about it. I think I'm not doing it then. I'm not going to yeah, watch it. Right. Two years later, yeah. I will. Then I'll rave about it and go, "Why well, didn't I?" I was <laughs> like that with Breaking Bad, and it's like, <laughs> "Oh, this is really good." <laughs> it's like ten years exactly after the fact. Breaking yeah. Bad, and then I cancelled things because I needed to watch it. It was so, so, so good. You want to talk about it and everyone else is over it? No, yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> All right, um, let's have a look at this last one. Then finally, Heinz. This sort of sounds horrific, has released a Christmas dinner in a can. It contains big chunks of turkey, pigs in blankets, Brussels sprouts, stuffing balls and potatoes with a whole lot of gravy and cram <laughs> cranberry sauce. D is cringing. Believe it or not, in the UK, D, it's sold out in, in minutes. Um, gimmick, or do people actually want to eat this? Well, the UK's never been known for its fine <laughs> cuisine. Anyway, look, I, I, I think Christmas... Myself, I don't do that whole big turkey thing anymore because it's exhausting and you spend hours and no one wants to eat it. So it's, it's uh, in Australia, you, you buy the cold six prawns. Christmases in a can and just no. Out. And also, it's got Brussels sprouts in that, which is just horrendous anyway. And cranberries, I don't do fruit with meat ever. Um, so that's wrong on a whole lot of levels for me. But in Australia, you, you buy your prawns, you open the beer. That's all you need for Christmas. Christmas in a can, Caroline. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it, but is it like pal? Like yeah, you kind yeah, of it's layers. Yeah, yeah. You pull the lid off. The way it's described, it sucks it, out, yeah, yeah. and then it's kind of mm. several layers of jelly and meat. And it's no, like it's a just, soup kind of thing. It's yeah, disgusting. Like a, it should yeah. be an offence. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a criminal offence. Well, there you go. It's flying off the shelves in the UK. So there you go. Christmas in a can. Um, all right, Dee. We've a what a variety of things we've spoken about tonight. <laughs> we did. Good. There you go, Carolyn D. Thank you. For Pleasure. That. Well, thank you for your company this evening from the team here at Seven News. That is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a good night. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.